A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Dr. Tim Lehman. Tim is a professor of history and political science at Rocky Mountain College in Montana, where he teaches a wide variety of courses in American, Western, and environmental history. He is the author of the book Bloodshed at Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull, Custer, and the Destinies of Nations. His recent work, Up the Trail, How Texas Cowboys Herded Longhorns and Became an American Icon, can be found wherever you like to get your books. Let's hear what he has to say about the Battle of Little Bighorn. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be here. So I was hoping we could start off by um, having you set the stage for us. After the American Revolutionary War, how does the U.S. government negotiate land treaties with individual sovereign American Indian nations? And how, how does all of that change in uh, 1830 after the Indian Removal Act is passed? Um, yeah, uh, wonderful question. Uh, the United States, uh, at least some members of the United States government, uh, including George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, had ideas that there might be a sort of humane Indian policy that would, uh, they sometimes called it the civilization program that would um, uh, lure, if you will, uh, American Indians into um, uh, contact and trade and commerce and eventually full citizenship uh, within the American uh, nation. And that Indian people would become part of the American people um, now, that was always sort of in con- conflict with uh, others who just wanted Indian lands. And um, 
So many uh, uh, Indian nations were pushed westward, most famously the Cherokee with the Trail of Tears, but there were others. And what we see happening here is by the time you get out to the part of the country uh, in the west, there's nowhere else to go. So Indian uh, peoples on the Great Plains were more or less surrounded uh, by this encroaching white settlement. So how uh, help us understand the different Native American nations that, that lived in the Great Plains in the, in the mid-19th century. Were these tribes nomadic? How, how did they sustain themselves? And, and how were their relations toward one another? The Native Americans uh, in these parts, and I say these parts because I'm in the Great uh, Northern Great Plains, were primarily uh, buffalo hunters, bison hunters. And some of them were very successful at it, notably the Lakota Sioux. And where I am here in Billings, Montana, was part of Crow Country. And so there was a conflict over really some of the best hunting grounds in North America uh, by the 19th century with the Crow here. They're also a, a horse and bison people and very successful at it, but outnumbered by the Lakota, by the Blackfeet to the north. And between that, uh, those kind of fights and then uh, diseases that were making their way out of the plains, especially smallpox, the Crow were um, uh, struggling to, uh, you know, stay prosperous. And that's, of course, part of the reason uh, that relates into the Battle of the Little Bighorn because the Crow decided, made a strategic choice that they would not fight the whites. So that's why they ended up with Custer rather than against Custer on that day of that battle. So in 1968, the U.S. government signs a treaty with the Lakota people. What are the terms of this treaty? Uh, the terms are long and complicated, but the most important points were that the Lakota would have a recognized as their territory uh, what was called the Great Sioux Reservation. And it's basically all of the western half of North of South Dakota, as well as uh, unseated hunting grounds in Wyoming, Nebraska, uh, and Montana. And so this was a very large area. And the Lakota rightly felt that it was an accomplishment of sorts to have this area uh, recognized by the uh, federal government as their national territory. There were other terms, including um, parts about going to school and learning to farm. Uh, some of those were less clear and um, may have been not explained fully or perhaps not even at all to some of the uh, Lakota participants in the treaty. So how do the, the stakes raise uh, uh, three years later when gold is discovered in the Black Hills? The, the Black Hills were sacred for the Lakota uh, people. And so they were deeply distressed when gold was discovered and gold miners rushed in. Now, this is, of course, part of the Great Sioux Reservation. Uh, and this is one of those moments in American history when there's just no rationale, no justification, no easy explanation. Uh, it's clear that the treaty protects this Black Hills area as part of the Great Sioux Nation, yet uh, whites rushed in in great numbers because of the gold discoveries. And they, you know, they, uh, it was Custer in 1874 who led an expedition that helped publicize, uh, popularized the, the, the gold in the Black Hills. They uh, took miners and 
newspaper reporters with them who wrote stories about there's gold down to the grassroots. So this just sent a flood of people in uh, to this region. It was, you know, there's just no way to avoid this kind of tragedy at that point. The United States government uh, initially tried to keep the miners out, but they gave up because there were simply too many of them. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, Colonel Custer, um, who he was, and uh, how his military career got started? Custer was a a wonderful, um, colorful character earlier on. He uh, attended West Point, and everybody likes to say that he came in last in his class, which he did. Uh, almost was kicked out for receiving demerits. Um, I'd like to think that he knew exactly where that line was and didn't cross the line to actually get kicked out, but he liked to play. He didn't like to study all that much. And his early career was then shaped uh, not so much by West Point as by the Civil War, which when it came time to fighting, he turned out to be pretty good at it. He was a, a fine cavalry officer for the uh, Union cause during the Civil War and participated in, in you know several notable battles and seemed to have a real gift for spotting an enemy weakness and knowing when and where to charge. There's there's a certain knack to that that I guess they can't teach in school, but uh, he he was good at it and of course he was colorful. He he uh, enjoyed the full prerogative of officers to dress as they would like to. So he had the big hat and a sash and a bright uh, velvet sash. And, uh, you know, he he couldn't miss him on the battlefield uh, in terms of seeing him. The remarkable thing is that uh, the Confederates always missed him. I mean, literally with their bullets, because he he exposed himself and uh, they started to talk about Custer's luck because he seemed to avoid getting hit uh, all the time. So he gets sent on an expedition to the Black Hills, right? As, as you had uh, said earlier, who sends who who uh, sends him on this expedition, and what is the purpose of it? Well, ultimately, the United States government and uh, General um, William Tecumseh Sherman send him there to survey the Black Hills for possible mineral sources, including gold, and also to survey for possible location for a fort, which the United States government believed was in within the terms of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. The natives did not think that would be acceptable within those terms. But the, the fort never became the issue. The gold was always what motivated people. So it's January of 1876, and President Ulysses S. Grant issues an order for all Native Americans to move to reservations or be considered hostile. How do the Lakota people respond to that order? Yeah, this um, this is a wonderful uh, moment because it it shows the uh, absolute paternalistic at best and and, uh, condescending attitude of the United States government. It's the middle of winter and they expect uh, Indians to move not just to the reservation, but to the agencies within the reservation where they can report and be countered and then presumably vote in favor of a new treaty, which would restrict their land area and give up control of the Black Hills. That's what the United States government was interested in. And so this is virtually impossible order to fulfill, uh, even if the Lakota people had wanted to. And so uh, obviously they 
not all were inclined to. And, you know, this is what led to war. The, the um, officer in charge of this said it was time to whip the Indians into subjugation. Wow. And that, that kind of language was used, the, the language of whipping the Indians into subjugation was used frequently by army officers in the, uh, in the plains during this time. Could you tell us about uh, some of the key Native American leaders uh, who resisted U.S. troops during the, the, the Great Sioux War of 1876? Well, the most famous, of course, was Sitting Bull, who um, was raised uh, in the Hunkpapa Lakota family, extended family. He was famous for being a uh, warrior but also for being a holy man, a spiritual man. Uh, his connection with uh, the spirit world is what uh, perhaps separated him from others. He was known for his generosity, his bravery, and his absolute hostility towards white encroachment into Lakota lands. Uh, he wanted uh, most of all to be let alone. And so he actually did not sign the 1868 treaty because he didn't want to go speak with the whites. He wanted to be left alone to the north, uh, sometimes called the northern nomads, because they're to the north of the Oregon Trail and, and just in the, in the northern plains. The other uh, famous leader was Crazy Horse, who also um, learned the ways of warfare early. He was uh, known for his uh, war. He had a famous vision which gave him powers that he would not be killed by a uh, rifle or by another uh, by bullets from from whites. And so he uh, was fearless in battle and uh, always successful. He became a shirt wearer, which is a, a sort of military uh, title within Lakota culture, and he is. I guess some some regard him as the the greatest of all because he did not uh, he did not give in. Wow. President Grant sends Custer and his Seventh Cavalry now to the plains uh, with orders. Uh, could, could you walk us through the uh, the events that happened uh, June of eighteen seventy six? Right. There's a three pronged invasion. One coming from uh, Fort Ellis, which is uh, to the west of this region in uh, near Boz what's now Bozeman, Montana. One from the south coming up from Fort Laramie region, uh, led by Crook and Custer, under, ultimately under the command of General Terry, coming along the Missouri River from the east. And they didn't know exactly where uh, Sitting Bull's camp was. They knew he had a, an unusually large encampment that summer. So the idea was to have this three-pronged pincer movement. The problem was that from the, uh, you know, that strategy point of view is that uh, General Crook in the South was defeated at the Battle of the Rosebud, and uh, he retired from the field and uh, went back to uh, take care of his casualties and await reinforcements. And that meant that the Lakota were able to focus uh, almost entirely on Custer's force when it arrived. I see. And were the Lakota uh, people, uh, were they ex expecting, uh, did they see this, uh, these cavalries approaching? 
they were expecting uh, the possibility, although uh, some said they didn't think anyone would attack them because they were they were in such strength. They had an unusually large encampment that summer for um, the Sundance gathering in June of the uh, sort of a reunion, uh, annual reunion of the people where the smaller groups would gather together. People knew that the whites were closing in. And so this was in the seven to 8,000 people range for an encampment, which was larger than usual. Uh, And, you know, a celebration of sorts. And uh, they had been warned uh, by a vision from Sitting Bull, who um, participated in the Sundance and had a vision of soldiers falling into camp. They were upside down and falling into camp. And so they had a vision that the soldiers were coming uh, and would be defeated. From their point of view, they were the righteous ones. They believed that, well, as whites would have said, that God is on their side, uh, that they believed that they were within their legal rights and uh, that the spiritual power was on their side. And at what point then, uh, I mean, how, how do the Native American fighters respond when they are when they realize they're being attacked? I know that the casualties were, were large from the uh, uh, U.S. government side. Lakotas and other uh, Plains peoples had been attacked enough times that there was a kind of pattern to how they would respond. The attack at the Little Bighorn came uh, from the south, led by Reno, and warriors rode out to meet that. They made a big a lot of dust and uh, tried to, in a sense, initially just to distract that and give women and older men a chance to move away from the attack and so uh, not be in the in the line of fire. Reno's men were quickly, in this case, outnumbered and then surrounded and turned back and they uh, retreated. And that meant that Custer, who had uh, gone in a different direction, was apparently instead of being part of a uh, surround movement, was on his own. Natives fought uh, with rifles. They fought with bows. Uh, Sometimes bows were more effective. They didn't have a lot of ammunition, so that limited what the effectiveness of rifles. But on this day, they captured a lot of uh, rifles and ammunition uh, from the soldiers. At what point is Colonel Custer killed? Uh, do, Do they know how or who killed him? The who is not clear, although there are some various accounts of that. He died on what was um, what's still called Last Stand Hill. He led a column that was looking um, after Reno had attacked the south side of the village. He led a column that was probing for a way to attack the north side of the village. And that was pushed back and pushed up onto the hill. He died there. He had a special um, uh, hunting rifle, and uh, there were uh, numerous uh, shell casings from his hunting rifle that would be identifiable to that specific uh, rifle uh, found near him. So that's where he died. Exactly who did him in is not clear. So I I read that the night before uh, Custer and his men were drinking heavily, coming up with strategy for the next day. Is this true? Uh, Do do you think that the hangover led to the confusion on the U.S. military's part? 
there's been a, a persistent story about uh, not only a hangover, but about uh, uh, drinking during the day and uh, of the battle and even during the battle itself. Possible, it's true, that happened, although I tend to dismiss this as a, a serious cause of the uh, of his defeat. I think the, the evidence is not overwhelming for that. And there are plenty of other causes for his defeat, sober or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so how does the victory uh, of the battle fuel uh, the battle of uh, Little Bighorn fuel the, the Native Americans hope in winning the war? And, and how did the U.S. government, what did they do in response? Well, the Lakota um, did what they typically do after a large gathering of Sundance. That is, they stayed together for uh, a little while longer and then they split into smaller groups. And uh, they, they were celebrating, they sang uh, victory songs, they got soldiers' uniforms and uh, played cavalry officer, you know, as part of a, a celebration. They, uh, they got horses from the cavalry and so on. So they were in good spirits uh, until they gathered into smaller hunting bands, uh, separated into smaller hunting bands during the uh, fall and winter. And I think it's safe to say that this battle has been ever since for Lakota people a source of pride, a source of uh, the strength of their resistance. So it's had um, important symbolism over the over the years and decades since. For the U.S. Army, they gathered their strength and recruited new soldiers and did what the, uh, the United States government can do, flooded the zone with soldiers and gave the Indians no rest that fall and that winter. And so there was no single decisive battle, but rather a series of smaller battles and skirmishes that pursued the uh, Lakota and their Cheyenne allies uh, all winter long until they were forced to surrender by spring. And you had mentioned earlier that the Crow Nation played a, an integral part in, in, in the battle. How is that so? Well, the, the Crow Nation um, sided with the United States uh, because the United States would protect them from the Lakota. And the Lakota were, prior to this, had been uh, um, encroaching on Crow land and, and uh, they'd had a number of uh, significant fights. Well, the Crow then played a part in the battle. They were, uh, they called them scouts, but uh, that sort of diminishes their actual role. Sometimes they could participate in the fighting. They were the ones who identified where um, the village was and identified the size of the village and warned uh, Custer of the uh, unusually large size of the village he was attacking. We, we ask all of our guest experts this question. At the end of the day, if you were to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for what led to the Battle of Little Bighorn to happen in the first place. Who or what would that be? Uh, I would go with... Um hubris or overbearing pride on the part of both the individual involved, George Armstrong Custer, uh, and his inability to recognize the fighting abilities of the Lakota people, but also uh, hubris of the nation to think that it could always be right uh, and uh, ignore its own 
treaties, its own laws, uh, its own uh, attempts at justice uh, for Native peoples. And so I think the United States behaved in a with an overbearing pride and arrogance uh, at this moment. Tim, thank you so much for joining us and uh, helping us understand this uh, very important battle. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Clayton, 
uh, how, yeah. I mean, it was great to have uh, Tim on the show and be able to ask him all the questions. I even got to ask him if he thought drinking and battling mm-hmm. would have an effect. I loved his response to that too, actually. It was like really great. It was like, no, the sky failed. You don't have to like, explain <laughs> it away by him being drunk. I know. And as I was, as he was responding to that, I was like, oh, this is just propaganda. Right. The whole yeah. drinking thing is propaganda that has, uh, you know, come uh, up or has been created after the battle to be like, oh, well, they were uh, drunk. Of course yeah. they lost. There's no way they would have <laughs> lost if they'd been sober. Yeah. They would have annihilated. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. But they're cool because they were drinking too. It's like, oh, no, no, no. All right. Great. They, they lost. <laughs> before we even jump in, I, I want to thank you, Clayton, for hopping on today. Because uh, even on vacation, you're so devoted to the podcast mm-hmm. that you are... <laughs> I'm ready to go. You're, this is what I sound like on vacation. I sound yes. echoey and tinny <laughs> and far away. Which is how it's supposed to sound on vacation. That's right. You're off. You're you're off. Your <laughs> podcast off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Clayton, so so I know you were taking notes as we were going along, but I mean, uh, a lot of interesting points. I, yes, I think the thing that just sticks out to me is like gold. Yeah. It doesn't just seem like it always comes down to money. They're like, and the idea of, you know, I really appreciated what he said at the end, just like the kind of arrogance of the U.S. like writing, oh, we're going to write this treaty. You know, we're very formal here. We have laws. We're civilized. Here's a thing that respects both of our interests, but we will immediately break it if we find out that there's, you know, something that will benefit us, a.k.a. gold, right? Right. Like, and can you imagine your a native person like you've lived on this land for whatever you know years centuries centuries some new people come along and they try and like you know don't worry we're gonna like really be orderly here and then they just go back on their word immediately like you're kind of like what do we do with these people constantly I, I know <laughs> it, it, it must have been so uh, not, not just upsetting but unsettling mm-hmm. uh to have what you think is like an understanding Mm-hmm. And then have them just go, totally like right away yeah. go back on it. It's not even like, oh, I forgot. It's like, no, you lied. And Be- you're the one who's being accommodating. Like in this situation, yes. you're the one who's like, I kind of gone out of my you- way. So, but that's cool so that we can like. <laughs> Yes, it's, this is, first of all, this is, this is not yours, yeah. you know, this is all of ours. Right. We were here. Yeah. Like. And, 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 you know, exactly what you said, it's like accommodating and like trying to work with this very, uh, what did Tim call it? Like a, uh, was it paternal? What did he say? Yes. Uh, he said it was like paternal at best, but basically just very condescending attitude. Condescending. Government. <laughs> well, absolutely. But like this, like these people who like, uh, you know, these, these outside forces who have like suddenly showed up and are like, oh, 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 um, we'll work with you on your land, you know, right, on our right, land. <laughs> right. Right. You're like, excuse me? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Are you crazy? But like, how do you fight with an illogical? It, it just it, it's not logical. Mm-hmm. So how do you combat that? I don't know. I don't know. And that's, I don't know. This is the, all of this is just, it just makes you think how um, destructive our history really is. Like when you really sit down and think about it, you know, yeah. I don't know what to do with that. I don't feel great. 
No, you just kind of have to sit with it. And Mm -hmm. it's that feeling that I'm always like, don't trust anyone. You know, it's like, (laughs) I I already live with that feeling of like, don't trust anyone. Um, You know, double check. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Ulterior motives. Ulterior motives. um, But this is really just kind of like reaffirms that sadly. Now, remind us, Clayton, what did we end up setting, sending to the alarmist jail uh, for this? Sure. So for this episode, we ended up giving the big slap to President Ulysses S. Grant, and we threw George Armstrong Custer in jail. Mm. Which, you know, he, uh, Tim did say, you know, the individuals, the, the, the hubris of the individuals, and he did, right? yeah, he called out Custer himself. And then he went on to say the U.S., which I would say President Grant kind of represents the U.S. at the time, right? right? <laughs> I think what was uh, particular, though, about the way uh, Tim put it was the hubris, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. He really got down to what was at the, it was just, you know, it wasn't just the individual, it was the individual's hubris and the government's hubris. Um, and, and he even when when he was describing Custer, uh, he was saying that Custer, uh, you know, was a flashy individual. I forget how he put it. Yes, um, colorful. He said very colorful. colorful. Um, and the fact that he would wear bright colors and sashes yep. in the battle is is almost like a representation of this man's hubris. Right. Yeah. It's like a it's literally a physical <laughs> visual representation of the arrogance like here we are yeah i defy you to you know stop me it it should have like it should have we should we should have known right but um (laughs) (laughs) perhaps we can reframe because we 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 were all kind of in agreement with sure yes but perhaps we can just reframe that and say custer's hubris sure Sure. Well, actually, you know what? We can just keep it Custer yes. and he, he and his hubris can have, you know, have it out in, in the yes. alarmist. Because that, that he's bringing that with is, him. Yeah, that's part of who he is. So he, he and his arrogance are all locked up in the, in the alarmist right. jail. And the same okay. with President Grant. Yeah. Know, and, and representing and a very arrogant nation, I feel like. Yes. Yeah, we are. Let's let's remember that mm-hmm. uh, we are an arrogant nation. We are we're money hungry and mm-hmm. and cruel. We don't care. We don't care about uh, human life, really. As, as Yeah, I think we're trying. I think we're starting to. We look are back. trying yeah. Yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the history books uh, don't really. They don't lie. First of all, they they don't lie, and also they don't tell these stories uh, in a in a, an accurate way. Right. Actually, maybe I should take that back. The history books can they definitely do lie. lie, depending <laughs> on who's writing them. So <laughs> history doesn't lie, but the books uh, we've got to check those. Um, now, Clayton, uh, before we go, I just want to uh, tell remind our listeners to rate, review, and subscribe. Now we need more traction on our Apple podcast page. Mm -hmm, We mm -hmm. need more reviews really, because that's what helps us get on the charts. It's what helps get us noticed. And if we want to continue to do these episodes, it's so important that you please, if you haven't already rate review, subscribe, uh, Clayton, have there been any 
uh, anything recently? Yes, actually. We, we can... Okay, great. We have two really lovely new reviews that I would love to share with the Alarmy. Okay. The first yes. is um, uh, from Annie Blake. It's five stars, news I never knew about. She writes, from the Korean ferry disaster and Lincoln's assassination to Dorothy's ruby slippers, these hosts are never without new information and a fresh perspective. History never repeats itself on Rebecca's watch. I say it out loud, too, she says in parentheses. And this podcast is educational, introspective, and funny at the same time. Binge the whole series, five stars. You know what makes me laugh about, about that is how she considers history news. News yeah. I never knew about. <laughs> It is. <laughs> Which it is. Heard. It's news. If it's that, if it's old and no one reminds you of it, it's news yeah. you haven't heard about. It's true. Incredible. It's like going to brunch and catch up on all the gossip. And it's like, did you hear about the battle of Little Bighorn? Oh, my God. <laughs> but seriously, that's. Okay. And we have one more from 3000 JLK. Five stars. I love this podcast. I'm definitely more of a casual listener, but I really enjoy both the regular episodes and the follow-up expert episodes. I've learned about some things I had never heard of previously. The hosts and guests are always funny yet thorough. Highly recommend. Thanks, 3000. Well, those are just, thanks, 3000. So uh, those are just some examples of, of what your review exactly. might sound like. Uh, and again, thank you to the Alarmy. We really appreciate you. Now stay tuned because next week we're going to be discussing Malice at the Palace. It's going to be a fun one. Powered by ACAST.